If you are just joining us today, and this is your first time with us, we would absolutely love it if you would go on this journey with us. I would like to personally invite you to come back and pick up your own copy of the storybook. It's, they're available at our Welcome Center. It is our gift to you. Um, we'd love for you to go through this with us. I uh, just believe with all my heart that God is going to use this study to show us some things and teach us some things. And I believe God wants to speak a word to you, and he's going to do it through the story. So I want to invite you to come and be a part of this with us. Um, I'll tell you, something that's been consistent ever since we announced that we we're going to do this study together is the stories that have begun to pour in. Even before we started, I know some of you are sharing stories of like, you know what, I've been talking to my husband about this, and he's going to do it with us. I've been talking to my children. Hey, I've got a coworker, and I just want to encourage you, keep these stories coming. As, as you see God do things in this series, don't hold it in. Put it on Facebook. Email me if you have to. Email somebody. Tell somebody. Pick up the phone. Let's share the stories of what God is doing through this series. So today we are moving into chapter three of the story. And just out of curiosity, I know this is, if this is your first time here, you, you wouldn't have done this, but how many of you that started the series with this have read chapter three in preparation for today? Oh, that is, that is fantastic. All of you that haven't, we're going to guilt and shame you to death until you do. But no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, let me encourage you that every week that we go through this story, even if you get behind a week or two, go ahead and get caught up or jump to where we're going to be. Um, you should have read chapter three. I'm going to preach chapter three today. So that means next week, this coming week, read chapter four, because I'm going to be preaching chapter four. But I think God's already doing some amazing things. And I'm just so glad that you're here to go on this journey with us. Somebody asked me here not too long ago, they said, hey, Joe, how did you become a preacher? And I kind of laugh at that when people ask me that question, because I honestly don't know exactly how it, this happened. Um, if you had asked me when I was 17 or 18 or even 19, years of age, even when I started Bible college, hey, Joe, do you think you're going to be a preacher like your dad? I'd have probably laughed at your face. Like, no way am I going to do this. And uh, lo and behold, this is what I'm doing. Um, my life, I can tell you, is just a little testimony. It has not ended up in any way, shape, or form how I used to think my life was going to go. I mean, it is completely different than I ever thought it would be. And I'm wondering, can any of you relate to that? Could you say, where I'm at in life right now, I'm at a completely different spot than I ever dreamed that I would be. Can you relate to that? Today, we're gonna be learning about the life of Joseph. And when I think about Joseph, there is probably not another example in the Bible that I'm aware of, of a life that completely ended up in a different spot than he ever dreamed. I mean, I think we can say that safely about Joseph. Um, the story you're gonna learn today, he never dreamt that he would be in the position that he is. And what we're gonna see is how God saw him through every step of the way, every part of this journey, even when he had no clue what God was doing. So if you got your storybooks, please turn over to um, page 29. That's where we're gonna be today. And just so you know, if this is your first time with us, um, and if you don't have a storybook, we present all the scriptures on the screens behind me. So you'll be able to follow along very easily. I'm going to give you page numbers out of the story, but they are equivalent to scripture. They're the same thing. So I'll give you both. I'll give you the page number and the scripture reference that it's found, or you can just follow along on the screen um, easily enough. 
Um, while you're turning there, let me just kind of review just briefly what we've already learned. When we first started this story, we learned that the main character of this story is who? It is God. And God is the creator. And we learned that he created everything. And what did he say after he created it all? He said, it is very good. That's right. But what happened? We came in and messed it up, didn't we? What was very good turned into something that turned out to be awful because Man sinned and it became very bad. So God wiped wickedness off the earth and he said, I'm gonna do something different. I am gonna build a nation. And that's what last week was all about. He said, I'm gonna build a nation. I'm gonna start with this one couple, Abraham and Sarah. And we learned that they were what? The most unlikely uh, couple in the history of the world to do this with, which is a trend you're gonna see throughout the story that God uses the most unlikely of people to fulfill his purposes. That's a theme you're going to see over and over and over again. So Abraham and Sarah, they have a son. They're going to build this nation through him. His name is Isaac. And then they have, and Isaac has a son. His name is Jacob. What you're going to see throughout the Bible is you're going to hear these three names used together all the time. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oftentimes in other parts of the Bible, people will refer to God and they'll say, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what they're referring to is that promise that was made to Abraham that out of him would be a mighty nation and this would be a godly nation and they would be the example to the rest of the world to look at and say, that's what the family of God looks like. And so when they say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they use them as a trilogy of names that reference the people of God. And Jacob has a son. Jacob actually had lots of sons, but we're going to read about one of them today. And that son's name was Joseph. Joseph's story really begins uh, about the time he turned 17 years of age. He is the favorite of all the sons. He is the one that his dad looks at and he's like, that's my boy. Uh, that's, that's Joseph, okay? Okay. Did any of you grow up in homes where you felt like you weren't the favorite? Like one of your brothers or sisters was favored? You don't have to raise your hands or nothing, but especially if your brother is in the room. And um, anyway, Joseph grew up as the favored child. He was given by his father, the Bible calls it a richly ornamented robe. Sometimes we call it the coat of many colors. It is the coat of all coats. It would be like one of your siblings showing up one day in this, this brand new jacket, and you're like, where'd you get that? Dad got it for me. That was expensive. I know, he loves me. You know, that, that's kind of that's the attitude that Joseph had, I think, with his brothers. They hated him for it. They absolutely hated him for it because everybody knew that Joseph was the favorite. Now, there's a lot of reasons for why Joseph was considered the favorite in his father's eyes, and you'll learn that as you read the story. Uh, we won't get into that right now. To top it all off, Joseph had dreams. When Joseph would sleep, he would see things. And God would reveal what the meanings of these dreams were. Joseph had these dreams. And Joseph learned in these dreams that one day, all of his brothers are going to bow down to him. And then he does something really ridiculous. He tells them about it. Hey, guys, guess what? I had this dream. And in my dream, all of you bow down to me. Now, I don't know. Like I said, if you grew up with brothers and you told them some story like that, what would happen to you? Would that have ended well for you in the home you grew up at? No, I don't think so. You're like, hey, why you got a bag of frozen peas to your face? That's why, you know, it's like, but he tells his brothers, I had a dream 
and you guys all bow down to me. Well, that was about all that they could handle. So one day, Joseph is sent by his fathers to go check on his brothers. And uh, I don't know if it's a goody two-shoe move. I don't know if it's like, hey, I'm here to be a snitch. I don't know. But he goes to check on his brothers out in the fields, and they see him coming. And this is what happens. Page 29 of your storybook. This is the equivalent of Genesis 37, verse 19. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Nice guys, right? I mean, don't you wish you had brothers this nice? I don't think so. When Reuben heard this, this was one of the brothers, he tried to rescue him from his, their hand. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern where, here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. And Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take them back to his father. So when Joseph came with, to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, the ornate robe. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hand on him. After all, he is our brother, our flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now think about this. Some of you in here are around the age of 17. A good number of us have passed 17. It's well in our rearview mirror. But let me tell you, well, that was kind of funny. I didn't mean for that to be funny. Some of you are like, it's so far, I can't even see that far back. I'm kidding. Where I'm going with that is, think back when you were 17. What would be going through your mind right now? I mean, I mean Joseph, he's taken to be a slave and he's sold there by his brothers. How would you respond at 17 years of age? So he gets sold into slavery and he gets sold to a guy named Potiphar. Now Potiphar has a pretty important position um, in Pharaoh's kingdom and he notices something about Joseph right away. He notices that Joseph is special. Look at page 31. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that Joseph was with, or excuse me, that Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. So Potiphar takes notice of Joseph. It's like, it's like if you ever meet somebody, you're like, man, everything they touch works. That's Joseph. You ever met somebody like that? You ever work with anybody like that? Well, this is Joseph. Everything he puts his hand to works, and my house is better because he's in it. And so he makes Joseph in charge of everything. Now, Potiphar is not the only person to take notice of Joseph. Who else takes great notice of Joseph? Potiphar's wife. And the Bible says this detail about Joseph. He was well-built and handsome. And you can interpret that any way you want. That's subjective. 
I think pudgy and bald is handsome and well, but that's just, that's just me, all in the eye of the beholder. But whatever it was about him, she, she caught, I mean, he caught her attention and, and the Bible tells us that she repeatedly invited Joseph to be intimate with her, but Joseph would have nothing to do with her. And page 31 tells us this great detail. He's like, look here, Mrs. Potiphar, no one is greater in this house than I am. Joseph knows the position he's in. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. And I think Joseph would say, so duh. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin, interesting point, not against Potiphar, sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And I just want to point out, did you hear Joseph answer? Did you see and did you hear the same thing that I'm hearing here? That after, you know, all of these attempts if he had accepted even just one of those attempts by her, he would be sinning against God. And I'm wondering, as I read Joseph's story, where in the world did this conviction come from? Now think about it. Where did this conviction come from? Let's face it, if you know anything about his father, Jacob, he is not the example of sexual purity. Okay? Where did Joseph learn this. If I had to guess, Potiphar's probably a pretty good looking woman. She's married to an influential guy. There's plenty of money to go around in this household. She's probably got things put together okay. And jo Joseph has every opportunity to justify just about anything he wants to do. I mean, if in his quieter moments, he could have looked at that situation and her persistence, and he could have said, you know what? I've been taken out of my father's household against my will and sold into slavery by my jealous brothers. I have been a slave serving others ever since that day. I think Joseph could have so easily looked at this scenario and said, it's about time I get something for myself. I think that would have been really easy for him to do. Here's this beautiful woman. No one would ever have to know about anything that went on between them. And I think maybe the temptation, the opportunity at least, was there for Joseph to say, you know what, I stink and deserve this. I deserve it. And friends, I, I want to bring that up, and I want to make this point here, that we always have to be on guard and not allow ourselves to talk ourselves into sin. And I think that could have easily happened here. It didn't. But it could have. That we have to be on guard and not allow ourselves to talk ourselves into sinning. Here's how this happens from time to time. Life gets difficult. Life gets strange. Life gets tough. And it's easy to fall into this trap that says, I deserve it. I deserve it. Friends, I'll tell you, some of our most vulnerable moments in life is when things just aren't going the way we planned them to go when things are hard, when things stop being easy, when money gets tight, and all of those things where, and it's like, you know what, I've been through so much, we fall, I've been through so much, I just deserve a little pleasure, and we talk ourselves into things that are totally against what God would want us to do, and it's a trap. And so Joseph, even as a younger man, he makes this connection. Why would I do something like that 
and sin against God. It seems like that over anything was the most important detail. I, I really believe Joseph probably wanted to, but he didn't because of God. Well, Potiphar's wife did not take this rejection too well. What did she do? Well, if you won't, you know, if you won't respond to my advances, well, here's what I'll do. I'm gonna tell my husband that you came on to me and that's exactly what happened. Potiphar's really angry and he has Joseph thrown into prison and that's where Joseph will spend the next couple of years of his life there. Friends, I'm gonna tell you something. You know this and some of you have experienced this. When you stand up for God and you stand on righteousness and purity, sometimes prison will follow. You know what, sometimes it just doesn't work out, but here is the important detail. It says in Genesis chapter 39, verse 20, while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. You're gonna make some decisions in your life because that's what God wants you to do and no other reason. And you can be honest and say, if I was doing what I wanted to do, I'd do that but I won't because that's not what God wants. And it doesn't always mean that this life is gonna be followed, that decision with a reward. And Joseph got thrown into prison for his purity and righteousness. It wasn't fair. But look at this detail. The Lord was with him. Friends, if you're suffering because you did, you did the right thing and it didn't work out well for you, if you stood up and you told the truth and it cost you the promotion at work, remember this. God is with you. If you stand up for purity and you get rejected, God is with you. If you do what's right for your children and they get all mad, God is with you. I mean, I could give you a hundred scenarios. And I see Joseph, he did what was right and he, and he, got suffer, he was suffering for it. But God was with him. And God is with you too. One day, if you follow the story, Pharaoh, the king dude in the whole land, he has this dream and he cannot figure out what this dream means and all the people around him couldn't figure it out. And one day he hears about a guy that's in a dungeon and, and, and who can interpret dreams. So he sends for Joseph to come and on page 32, this is what happens next. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it for me. But I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, can interpret it. I cannot, said Joseph. No, nope, can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Friends, if you're not impressed with Joseph yet, you should probably get impressed with him by now. Sold into slavery, falsely accused, went to jail, spent several years there, and still, through it all, Joseph is giving credit to God. Nope, Pharaoh, I don't have a lick of ability to do what you want me to do, but I know who does, and it's God. And I wonder if that's our approach. I can't, but God can. And I wonder if you could pull that into your everyday way of thinking. I can't, but God can. I can't, but God can. I can't do that, but God can. I can't get through it, but God can get me through it. I can't get there, but God can get me there. If you can start to kind of get that into your everyday mentality, things are gonna look up for you. I can't, but God can. And God, through Joseph, interprets this dream. And the basic meaning of the dream was this. Egypt is about to experience seven of the greatest years they've ever had. 
followed by seven of the worst. And so Joseph tells Pharaoh, store up for these first seven because you're gonna need it for the second seven. You're gonna grow crops like crazy these first seven. You're gonna grow nothing during the second seven. And this so impressed Pharaoh, this is what happened. Page 33, this is Genesis 41. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Not bad. Not bad to go from a shepherd to a slave to a prisoner to the second highest ranking official in all of Egypt. For the next seven years, Joseph's job is to oversee the storing of food in all the land of Egypt. They had so much food, they didn't even know what to do with it all. And then the seven years of famine hit and this famine was so severe, it doesn't just affect Egypt, it affects a lot of areas. And in the second year of the famine, guess who comes knocking on Joseph's door? Look at page 34, this is Genesis 42. Now Joseph was the governor of the land and the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him, the fulfillment of the dream right here. All these years before, hey, you guys are gonna bow down to me. No, we're not, we're gonna kill you instead. And here they are, all these years later, the second year of the famine, and they're bowing before their brother. Faces to the ground, the Bible says. And in verse seven, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger. They didn't know it was him. Now do the math here. Just let's do the math a little bit together. Joseph was how old when he was sold into slavery? He was 17. He was 30 years of age when he interprets the dreams for Pharaoh. Then the seven years of good seasons of growth happen, and now we're in the second year of famine, which means that right now, in the point, this point in the story, Joseph is 39 years old. It has been 22 years since he has seen his brothers, and he recognizes them immediately. Some faces you just can't forget. <laughs> and he sees them, but they didn't know it was him. If you found yourself in that situation, you are Joseph, and your brothers wanted you dead, and now they're just a few feet away from you, and you literally have the authority to do anything you want to them, what would you do? Would you have them tortured? Some of you are like, I'd, I'd torture my brothers right now, and they didn't do any of this. <laughs> I have no problem there. But what would you do? I guess maybe the deeper question is, where would you be at mentally? Would you have them thrown in prison? Would you have them killed? I mean, Joseph had people all around him that would have fulfilled his every bidding. He could have snapped his fingers and those brothers could have been taken off never to be seen again and they would not have thought a thing about it. What would you have done? Well, as I said, Joseph didn't reveal his identity right away. He did mess with them just a little bit and how could you not? Honestly. But eventually, this is what happened. Page 39, this is Genesis 45, verse 1. Page 39. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. 
So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. In other words, this moment was so significant that it was being talked about in the living room of Pharaoh's house. That's how big a deal this was. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Yeah, it's like, who wants to be in front of that line? Come close to me. This makes no sense to his brothers. Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Say, what? How can he be saying this? After all these years, don't worry about it. That's what he's saying. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Don't be afraid. It's, it's, it's okay. We're going to get to why Joseph could say something like that, and it has huge implications for each one of us. He says it's okay. Verse 6, or excuse me, verse 5. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on earth. Do you hear what he's saying? All of this happened because God sent me ahead of you so that I could save the promise. The promise, I have to save my brothers because God made a promise that out of this family is gonna be this great nation. And God sent me ahead of you to save you. It's good. Friends, I don't know if I could get there. I, I don't know, in all honesty, 22 years of what's going on up here, I, I don't know if I could get there in that moment. And he says, God is in control. God sent me ahead of you. And he says to save you and earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And then he says this, so then it was not God who sent, it was not you who sent me here, but God he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. And can anyone say, wow, wow. I think what grace, through all the emotion, through all the pain, through all the hardship, through all the separation, through all the mistreatment and accusations and all that, Joseph chose to see the upper story. Now think about it. We've talked about the upper story and the lower story. This is a moment that's so clear in Scripture of a guy who chose to see what God was doing in his master plan. And he makes the connection that God is doing something so much bigger than what they're experiencing right then. That God is doing something big and grand even though he couldn't quite see it all. And I think about Joseph's story and I think about the implications that it has for our lives. And here's a big one. Number one, if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. When I see a parallel here, I see this. No matter how desperate things got for Joseph, Joseph simply trusted God. That's it. I know that sounds simple. I know that sounds elementary. But it's true. He simply trusted God. And never once do we read about a time that Joseph blamed others for his circumstance. And I'm telling you, we live in a world, and I think you would agree with me at this, that it is almost human nature to point the finger at somebody else. We live in a, it's not my fault world. 
That's the world we live in. And usually it's easier to blame somebody else for when we find ourselves in circumstances that are less than ideal. But Joseph didn't do that. He simply trusted God and he believed that God was doing something so much bigger than what he could see. And I wonder how many of us can relate to this exact thing. Perhaps right now you are in a less than ideal situation. And you might admit, I caused this, and for others, it would be, this was done to me. This is all done to me. This situation that I'm in, these circumstances that I find myself in, it's, it, it's not my fault at all. But know this. God was with Joseph, and God is with you. Don't ever doubt it. Trust him and have faith that there is something bigger going on that no one can see right now but God. I think so often, I think in my own life, I'm just such in a hurry to see God act right now. God, I want you to act now. I want you to answer prayers now. I want to see activity now. Don't you know it's true that oftentimes it's not until we look backwards that we can see the movement of God? I don't know how, how many times I've looked backwards in my life. And even though I didn't see what God was doing in the moment, when I look back on it, I go, oh, that's the upper story. You know what? I, can, I won't tell you about it, but I can think of one specific moment in my life in 2012 that if I would have acted on what I wanted to do, I would not be standing here today. But I look back on that and I go, ah, that's what God was doing when I wasn't getting my way. And that's why God said, you need to chill and trust. I think maybe that's something God is saying to some of us right now. You find yourself in situations and you wish it would be different. And a lot of times it's just, we didn't do this, but God, just trust God that he's doing something bigger than what you can see right now. There's a powerful verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, where God tells the prophet this truth, and I think it's the same for us. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I think some of us need that reminder today. Second thing that I see in Joseph's life that has big implications for us is this. I talked about it a little bit, I'll say it again. Joseph never gave in to temptation. I just see a guy who didn't give in to temptation. When reading about the life of Joseph, the one thing that really sticks out is his willpower to do good, his downright determination not to dishonor God in any way, shape, or form. And out of anyone in the Bible with all the ups and downs, Joseph, I think, could have, been, could have acted any way that he wanted to, and we would have read his story and go, well, it makes sense. Did you see what kind of crummy life he had? Do you see all what happened to him? It kind of makes sense that he would act out and behave the way that he is behaving, but he didn't. He just simply did not give in to temptation. And I thought, man, that's a powerful testimony to me, that hardships in my life is not justification to sin. Difficult days is not an excuse to get what I want. I see that in Joseph. I also see he never gave into the temptation to hate. How easy would it have been for him to hate his brothers? I mean, absolutely hate. Can you imagine? I would imagine this happened, that maybe sitting in that dark jail cell and he's laying there on that hard surface and he's cold and, and he's not clothed properly and he had to really wrestle with the temptation to not hate the people that did this to him. 
But somewhere in all that, Joseph developed a love for God that was stronger and deeper than his hate for anybody else. And I know right now, in this room, I can just, I, without knowing specifics, I can tell you right now, there, there's some wrestling with hatred in this room. There's people that have done things to you that you would even be so embarrassed to bring out in the daylight. And there's been people that have made you feel a certain way that if truth be known, you'd be okay if they met the grave today. How do you overcome that? What is there from Joseph's story here that could help you release the burden of that anger and hate? The only thing I know how to tell you and the only path to anything that is, is happiness in the future is when your love for God grows so strong that there's really not much room left for hate there. That your love for God begins to override these feelings of revenge and hate and I think that's the only way Joseph got through it. He loved God more. That was that simple. I just love God more. I just love God more. I just love God more. I just love God more than that. I just, I just forgive it and I, because I love God more. And I, I, how else could he have gotten to that point? He just loved God more. That's not an easy thing to do. But you just got to love God more. I hope that the story helps you love God more than the hate you have for other people. He also never gave in to sexual immorality, this temptation. And I wonder, as I look at that, he said, I, how would I, why would I sin against God? And I, I think somewhere in the life of, of many Christians, we have lost the sense that when we sin, that it's wickedness towards God. He saw a correlation. I, I can't be intimate with you, Mrs. Potiphar, because that would be wickedness towards God. And I wonder, when, especially when it comes to this, these topics of purity and, and saving yourself for the kind of relationship that God designed within marriage, and it's like, do we see these behaviors we engage in as wicked things? I see that in Joseph. It's a testimony to me. Third thing that I see, if you're taking notes, where there's a rich parallel to our lives today is that Joseph forgave those who had wronged him. He did. Joseph was taken away at the hatred of his brothers. And for 22 years, he lived in a land away from the people that he loved, many years alone. Yet when he saw his brothers all these years later, he had this love in his heart and it wasn't hate. And if you look at page 42, you'll see how that story ends. This is Genesis chapter 50. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. I think is the only card they had left. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In other words, this is Joseph's way of saying, I'm not your judge. God will be your judge. You don't have to answer to me. You will have to answer to God. I'm not gonna be God right now in front of you. Am I in the place of God? No, he's not. You intended to harm me. Oh, I think some of you need to hear this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Your intentions were bad but God's gonna make something wonderful out of it. I wonder, I mean, think about it. What has happened to you? It was bad, but God's gonna make something good. That was wrong that happened to me, but God's gonna make something good out of it. 
How do I know that? Because I trust him. And I'm going to love God more than I'm going to hate other people. And I'm going to trust him that he's got a plan, a master plan. I'm going to live my life for him. And you know what? His story is going to intersect with my story. You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the what? The saving of many lives. This, what Joseph is saying, is what Paul would later write down in Romans 8.28 when he said, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Do you believe that today? So how old was Joseph when he was sold into slavery? I want to point something out. 17. How old was Joseph when his brothers came looking for food? 39. The Bible tells us that Joseph lived to the ripe old age of 110, which means that Joseph had 22 pretty difficult years, but 71 blessed ones. 71 incredible blessed years of life. God is at work in the midst of the details of our lives accomplishing good for his purposes. And I hope you believe that today. We don't know what challenges will come. We have no idea what kind of suffering that we are gonna see during the course of our life. We have no idea what kind of hurts that we are going to have to navigate and handle. But we do know this, that God is working all things together for his good. We know that there is an upper story and we know that there is a lower story and we also know how this story ends, don't we? That ultimately, our hope is in heaven where it will be once again very good. Pray with me, would you?